Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hello, everyone. What is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct, you guys. If you're listening to me on the podcast, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. We post weekly here every Wednesday, and you are not going to want to miss it. And if you're watching me on YouTube, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button as well. We post weekly every Thursday on YouTube. This is by far one of the most twisted and crazy cases we have ever covered. And when I was doing my research on this one, I really didn't know where to begin just because there is so much going on at all times. But I'm going to do my best to explain it to you today. As you can tell by the title of today's case, today we are discussing the case of Franklin Floyd. Let's get right on into it. Franklin Delano Floyd was born on June 17, 1943 in Barnesville, Georgia to his parents, Thomas and Della Floyd. Franklin grew up as the youngest of five children and when he was only one year Year old, his father ended up dying at the age of 32 due to liver and kidney failure. So Thomas died when he was 32 years old, and Della was then a widow at only 29 years old. And she really had to figure out how she was going to maintain and support her family and her five children. So she decided the best thing to do to kind of give herself a little bit of time to figure things out would be to move in with her parents. So then her her parents and her five children that's eight people were all living in one small one-bedroom apartment After being in the apartment for two years in 1946, her parents actually ended up asking her to leave. And this was really hard on her because she had nowhere to go. She didn't know what she was going to do. She didn't have a proper source of income. So ultimately, she ended up putting her five children in the Georgia Baptist's children's home. And essentially, it's basically like an orphanage. So she put them there and it wasn't what she wanted to do at all, but CPS basically told her she had to do it. That was basically her only option. Now, when it comes to Franklin's experience at this home, he had a very, very traumatizing one. He was constantly bullied by his superiors, as well as just the other children in the home. He was constantly called feminine and called all of these terrible names, as well as he would be raped on a constant occasion with different objects, such as a broomstick. He would also be punished in really horrific ways, the superiors would punish Franklin by forcing his hands into boiling water, which as you can imagine is absolutely terrible. And how this home worked is that when you were 18 years old, you basically, you were done. You were now legally an adult, so you would go on and you would live your life as such. However, when Franklin was 16 years old, he started really rebelling and running away because he 
absolutely hated where he was. He ended up running away when he was 16 and breaking into a residential property. Now, after he did that, the police found him and informed the children's home. And the children's home actually reached out to his older sister named Dorothy and said that the only way that they were not going to press charges against Franklin is if Dorothy took custody of him. So they said that they don't even want him back in the children's home and they were trying to just replace him with his sister and ultimately dorothy agreed she was living in north carolina at the time she had a husband she had children and she agreed to take in franklin however this didn't last too long they didn't have the best relationship and so franklin ended up getting kicked out of dorothy's house as well so after getting kicked out of dorothy's house franklin then traveled on to indianapolis for the sole purpose of trying to find his mother della and once he was able to do so he figured out that she was a sex worker. She had become a sex worker in the time being. And this is not something that he was proud to see his mother do by any means. And it really took a toll on him mentally. So when he was 16 years old, Franklin decided that he wanted to join the US Army. And if you are not familiar, you have to be 18 years old at least to enlist in the Army. 18 is the minimal age. It's the age requirement. But Franklin was only 16, 17 years old at this time. So he he ended up having his mother, Della, help him in forging some of the paperwork that he needed to send off to the army to get enlisted. And by forging the documents, it basically just meant that he was lying about his age. However, him forging those documents actually worked and he was enlisted into the army. So he gets enlisted, but about six months in, it is revealed that he had lied about his age. So he gets discharged. And after that, Franklin didn't really have a lot going on at that point. He didn't really know what he was going to do. So he kind of just became a drifter. He would drift from places to place and really lived his life independently on his own terms. And now is kind of where I want to take a moment and talk about Franklin's track record when it comes to the crimes that he has committed. Because even leading up to what we are going to talk about today, Franklin was no stranger to authorities and to jail and to breaking the law whatsoever. So when Franklin was 16 years old, he actually broke into a Sears store in Inglewood, California. And he did this for the sole purpose of stealing a gun. And police got called and they showed up to the Sears store and there was actually a shootout between Franklin and the authorities. And Franklin ended up getting shot in the stomach as a result of this. He did have to have emergency surgery. However, afterwards he was sent to a youth institution where he stayed there for for one year. After spending one year in the youth institution, Franklin then got arrested again one year after that for violating his parole. In 1962, Franklin actually abducted a four-year-old girl from a bowling alley and later on took her into the woods and sexually assaulted her. Now, he was convicted of kidnapping and child molestation. He was sentenced to serve 10 to 20 years at the Georgia State 
prison in Ridesville, Georgia. In 1963, he was actually able to escape, and he ended up robbing $6,000 from a branch at Citizens in Southern National Bank. He was convicted of robbery and then was sentenced to the Federal Reformatory in Ohio. He attempted to escape twice while he was in there, and then he was transferred to the U.S. Penitentiary in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. While he was in Lewisburg, he was going through a really tough time mentally. He suffered from being raped by his other inmates, which ended up spiraling him into a depression and made him attempt suicide. After his suicide attempt, he then was sent to the Federal Penitentiary in Marion, Illinois, and then was sent back to Georgia State Prison in 1968. Now, surprisingly enough, in November 1972, so only 10 years after his conviction of the kidnapping charge, Franklin was released from prison, but he was sent to a halfway house. After a week of being released from the halfway house, Franklin ended up forcing a woman into her own car at gunpoint at a gas station. After he got her into her car, he attempted to sexually assault her. However, luckily, she was able to escape from Franklin and Franklin was again arrested. Now, this time after he was arrested, he enlisted the help of one of his former inmates. This was a man named David Dial and Franklin convinced David to help him post bond. David was also out of prison at that point and the two of them had a pretty decent friendship and David actually ended up posting Franklin's bond for him. So Franklin was released again. However, this freedom of his did not last for long because on June 11th, 1973, he failed to show up to a court hearing of his, which caused a warrant to be issued out for his arrest. So now that there was an arrest warrant out for Franklin, he knew that he had to not only move, but he had to change his name and create an alias. He ended up going by the name of Brandon Williams, and in 1974, he met a woman named Sandy Chipman. Franklin met Sandy at a truck stop in North Carolina, and Sandy was a sex worker who had four children at the time. Her children ended up being taken away from her by CPS, and when her and Brandon, aka Franklin, got together, she really leaned on him. They only had known each other for about a month before they decided to get married, and a big swaying point in this marriage for Sandy was that Franklin had told her that if they were married, she would have a better chance at getting her children back. Sandy's children came from two different fathers. You had the oldest, which was a girl named Suzanne, and then after that you had Allison, and then Amy, and then Philip. Suzanne and Allison had the same father, and then Amy and Philip had the same father as well. So after Sandy was convinced by Franklin that this was her best shot at getting her kids back, she ended up settling down with him and her kids in Dallas, Texas. Now, just as Sandy was trying to get her life back on track and start to get into a regular routine, she ended up being arrested for bouncing a check when she was purchasing diapers. 
papers one day. Sandy was sentenced to jail for 30 days for this. And while serving her time, she left her kids in the care of Franklin. Even though he wasn't their biological father, he was their stepfather and they were all living together in the same house and he was raising them as well. Sandy figured that keeping the kids with Franklin would be the best way to maintain some sort of normalcy in this situation. So you can imagine her utter shock when she came home after being released after 30 days and found her house completely empty. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. When she returned home, Franklin, her children, and all of her belongings were nowhere to be found. And Sandy had no idea what to do because what do you do in that kind of a situation? She ended up contacting the police and told them that Franklin had taken her children and essentially kidnapped them. However, authorities had told her that because he was the stepfather, he had legal right to take them, which I just want to pause for a moment and say that is incorrect. Franklin had never legally adopted any of the children, therefore he had no right to take them and not tell Sandy where they were going. So that was a mistake on the police's part right there because technically this was kidnapping. Now, Sandy tried her best in the very beginning to try and find her children. However, after a while, she didn't really know what to do. And in some ways, as her children see it now, basically gave up on finding them. However, years later, Allison and Amy were actually found. They were staying at a church-operated social services group, and Philip actually wasn't identified until 2019. I am talking two years ago, and he had actually been adopted through a private adoption agency, and he was living with a new family in North Carolina. And he had heard about this entire case, and in 2019, he came forward claiming that he believed that he was Philip, and he was right. So now Amy, Allison, and Philip had been located, but Suzanne, the eldest of the four, was still nowhere to be found. Now, before Philip had been identified in 2019, it was presumed that him and Suzanne had been dead this entire time, just because no one knew 
where they were. So in 2019, Philip was identified, but still that leaves the question of what happened to Susan and what happened to Franklin. Now, after leaving Dallas, Texas, Franklin would move on to Tampa, Florida, and he was living there with his second wife at this point. This is several years later. He moved there and was living with his second wife, and his second wife was a woman named Tanya Hughes. Franklin had changed his name again, and this time was going by the name of Clarence. So him and Tanya were living together in Florida in 1989, and this is when she had her son named Michael. And Franklin is not the biological father of Michael. Franklin and Tanya didn't end up getting married until after she got pregnant with Michael. So this child is not biologically Franklin's. However, they did decide that they were going to raise the child together and that Franklin was going to take on that fatherly role for Michael. Now, Tanya got a job working as a dancer at one of the clubs to help support their family. And people who knew Tanya from work said that Franklin was very protective and very possessive. He would force her to give him all of the money that she was earning and would not let her have any friends. Tanya would confide in some of her coworkers and tell them that she wanted to leave Franklin. However, she said that he had told her before that if she ever left him, not only would he find her, but he would kill her and Michael. So obviously, Franklin has enlisted this giant amount of fear because now her and her child's life is on the line if she decides to leave. However, even with that, Tanya decided to take that chance. She ended up leaving Franklin in April 1990 with a man named Kevin Brown, who was a college student at the time that Tanya was having an affair with. So now her, Kevin, and Michael had all ran off and ran away together. However, not even a month after they ran away, Tanya's body was found on the side of the highway convulsing. Three people that were just driving along the road ended up passing Tanya's body and they stopped and noticed that she was severely injured and convulsing and they ended up taking her to the hospital. Tanya's body was found about a hundred miles outside of Oklahoma City and she was rushed to the Presbyterian Hospital. She arrived at the hospital with severe bruising and a large hematoma at the base of her skull and she ended up dying from these injuries five days later. Now, when her body was discovered, the witnesses that drove her to the hospital said that there were groceries scattered all around her at the time. So police had theorized that she was walking home from the grocery store when she was attacked. Now, Tanya at the time was staying at a Motel 6 with Michael. So it was believed that she was walking from the convenience store to the Motel 6. Now, even though she had left Franklin, legally he was her husband and by law, the hospital had to call her husband to let him know what had happened. So Franklin arrived at the hospital shortly after Tanya did. Now when Franklin arrived, it was said that he had little to no emotion. And not only that, he put a sign out on Tanya's door that said, no visitors. Now, Tanya's death was basically, and to this day, has been brushed off as a hit and run, even though an autopsy showed that Tanya's injuries were not consistent of that of a hit and run. And the medical examiner who conducted the autopsy even stated that in his report. However, police assumed that she was struck from behind by a vehicle and that vehicle just drove off. And that was the theory that they 
were going with. So even after Tanya died, everyone just kind of went on with their lives, including Franklin. Now, after Tanya's death, Franklin did try to gain custody of Michael by saying that he was Michael's biological father. However, at this time, Franklin's real identity actually was revealed. And it was revealed because he was trying to get a life insurance policy out on Tanya. And in doing that, he had to give his social security number. And when he gave his social security number, obviously his true identity is going to come up, which is Franklin, instead of the alias that he had been going by for all of these years. So Franklin really felt the pressure at this point. So he decided to give Michael to the foster care system while he ran off and basically fled the state. Now, Michael's foster care parents noted that Michael had the mental ability of a nine-month-old, even though he was already two years old. They also mentioned that he seemed significantly traumatized. And I also want to mention before we move any further that Tanya was only 20 years old when she passed away. And I want to mention that just because when I read that, in my mind, I had pictured Tanya to be a lot older at this point. However, she was still only 20 years old. So six months after Tanya's death, Franklin was arrested again for parole violation. After he was released, he then went back to try and regain custody of Michael. However, DNA testing proved that he was not Michael's biological father, and due to his criminal track record, they denied his request at an adoption. But at this point, I'm sure you're able to guess that Franklin does not like being told what to do, and he wasn't going to let this one slide. So on September 12th, 1994, Franklin ended up kidnapping Michael from his elementary school, Indian Meridian Elementary. Franklin walked into the school and forced the principal at gunpoint to take him to Michael's classroom. He was able to get Michael, but also kidnapped the principal as well. The principal's name is James Davis, and Franklin forced both him and Michael into his truck and drove them to a wooded area. He handcuffed James to a tree and then drove off with Michael. James was found two hours later, and luckily he survived the abduction. At this point, Franklin was on the run, and obviously James was able to tell authorities about what happened. However, no one knew where Michael was or where Franklin was. Authorities knew based off of James' recollection and what had happened that they were looking for Franklin, but they had no idea where Franklin was, and more importantly, they had no idea where Michael was either. Two months after this, Franklin was arrested in Louisville, Kentucky, and Michael was not with him. Now, at first, Franklin told authorities that Michael was staying with a friend outside of the country, not just the state. Michael was outside of the country staying with some friend. However, when asked to give more details, Franklin refused to do so. Now, it was very obvious to everyone that Franklin was lying. And I think James was a really big part of that, the principal. If the principal hadn't been involved in this, I don't know if the result would have been the same, honestly, because I don't know if Franklin would have been able to get away with it. But because there was a survivor of the incident who could recall everything, that really put Franklin's back up against a wall again. So because of this, Franklin was arrested and charged with kidnapping, and he was sentenced to 52 years for the kidnapping. It actually wasn't until September 2014 that Franklin admitted to killing Michael. He said that on the day of the abduction, he shot Michael in the back of the head two times and left his body somewhere on Interstate 35. Now, authorities have searched that interstate 
up and down. However, to this day, they have not been able to recover Michael's remains. And at this point, they believe that Michael's remains more than likely were consumed by a wild animal. Now I want to take a moment and talk about a woman named Cheryl Camesso. Cheryl worked at the same club that Tanya did, and the two of them were pretty close friends. Cheryl also got to know Franklin, and he would tell her that he was this big shot guy, and Cheryl believed him and thought that he had a lot of connections in the industry. However, one day, Franklin ended up making sexual advances towards her, and she rejected him. Cheryl was so thrown off by this that she ended up telling social services that Tanya was collecting welfare checks while making more than $1,500 a week. And the reason that she did this was basically to retaliate against them because in doing this, Tanya and Franklin got all of their benefits cut off. Now, this infuriated Franklin. And while this was all happening, Cheryl was pregnant. She was pregnant with a daughter and she was near the end of her pregnancy. And it was shortly after Cheryl's daughter was born that Cheryl actually went missing. Cheryl went missing in 1989 and it wasn't until 1995 where her remains were found by a landscaper off Interstate 275 in Pineless County, Florida. Her remains were identified in 1996. However, interestingly enough, in March 1995, there was actually a mechanic who was living in Kansas at the time and he had recently purchased a truck at an auction. Now, one day he was going through his truck and he discovered an envelope. And inside of this envelope, he found 97 photographs of women who were severely beaten and bound. Now, one of these photographs was in fact identified to be Cheryl Camesso. So obviously the mechanic informed police about this and they decided to track this truck down. And so they were able to trace the owner of this truck and I'm sure it won't be surprising when I tell you that this truck was traced back to Franklin. Franklin had stolen this truck in Oklahoma in September 1994. However, he abandoned it one month later. So at this point, with the connection that Franklin had to Cheryl, as well as the envelope and the 97 pictures and the truck, it's just too coincidental for it to just be a coincidence. Authorities now had enough evidence to charge him again with another crime while he was already in prison for Michael's death. So now Franklin's being charged with Cheryl's murder. However, interestingly enough, in 2001, a judge deemed that Franklin actually was incompetent to stand trial. Now, when Franklin heard this, he was actually very upset and he was adamant on the fact that he was fully competent and he was sane and that he could stand trial. Now, I find this to be very ironic considering the fact that in most cases that we cover, people usually try to get out of having to stand trial by saying, saying that they're incompetent. However, with Franklin, he actually took this as an insult and he wanted to stand trial and he wanted to be deemed as competent. So Franklin had to go through a multitude of different testing and talking to different psychiatrists. However, several months later, he was deemed competent to stand trial and that was exactly what he did. He then got convicted of Cheryl's murder and was sentenced to death. 
So now Franklin is charged with the kidnapping and murder of Michael, the two-year-old boy, and Cheryl, Tanya's friend. And I want to circle back here for a moment and go back to the beginning of this case where we talked about Sandy's children. I had told you that they had identified Allison, Amy, and Philip. However, Suzanne was still nowhere to be found. Now, there was a reason that Suzanne was never found, and that would be because when she was kidnapped, her name was changed, and the new name that Suzanne went by was Tanya Hughes. Yes, you heard me right. Suzanne, who was Sandy's daughter, who was Franklin's stepdaughter, her and Tanya are the same person. Franklin had raised Suzanne as his own daughter for years after the kidnapping, constantly moving her from different states and different schools. They never got too comfortable for too long, and Suzanne was only six years old when she was kidnapped by Franklin, so she was basically living her entire life in this lie. Tanya Hughes wasn't the only name that Suzanne had ever gone by. After the two of them left Dallas, Franklin ended up giving Suzanne the alias of Sharon Marshall. She went to high school in Forest Park High School in Georgia, and everyone loved Sharon, aka Suzanne. She excelled in school, she got fantastic grades, and overall had a very outgoing and bubbly personality. However, she definitely had a strict home life. Her friends recall thinking that Franklin was very strict with her. He wouldn't let her go out very often. He didn't let her have a lot of friends, and he certainly did not let her have any boyfriends. Now, I want to talk about the theory here that a lot of people believe to be true, and that theory is that Sharon was also involved in Cheryl's death. Now, a lot of people believe that she was directly involved, and then there are people who just believe that she had knowledge about what happened. And the reason for that is because when Suzanne met Cheryl, she was under the alias of Sharon Marshall. So she wasn't Tanya Hughes yet. So Cheryl met Suzanne as Sharon. And it wasn't until shortly after Cheryl's disappearance that Suzanne and Franklin ended up getting married. And a lot of people have speculated that the reason that the two of them had to get married was because of the rule that married people cannot stand trial and testify against one another. So a lot of people have theorized that Franklin thought that if he married Suzanne, that she would never be able to testify against him. But just think about this, because Suzanne grew up as the daughter of Franklin. And then years later, she ends up being married to him. Now, we're not aware of the extent of the romantic relationship that the two of them had. However, they were legally married. Now, like I said, Suzanne was six years old when she was kidnapped and she passed away at 20 years old. So, she lived 14 years of her life, the majority of her life. She was living a lie. Now, because Tanya isn't here to tell her side of the story today, we don't know how much she knew and didn't know. I think obviously she had had to know that there was something very wrong considering the fact that she was legally married to the man who raised her. However, as far as how much she knew about the kidnapping, we don't really know what her knowledge was on that. What we do know is that multiple people who had worked with Suzanne had asked her about her personal life and her background, and they all say that she was a very private person. However, the one thing that she would say was that all of her relatives were dead. So we don't know if that's the narrative that Franklin 
Caitlin pushed or if that is the story that they kind of came up with together. I think just being only six years old, it would have been very, very easy for Franklin to twist the entire truth. I personally don't remember anything when I was six years old. And I think it would be very easy for Franklin to manipulate Suzanne into thinking that her entire family was dead. Franklin Floyd currently is on death row at the Union Correctional Institution located in Florida, and there is no execution date for him at this time. Franklin is 78 years old right now, so a lot of people believe that he is just going to die in prison of natural causes and not necessarily from being put to death. So that, you guys, is the case of Franklin Floyd. I cannot wait to hear what you guys have to say about this one. Make sure if you're watching me on YouTube to leave it in the comments below what you think. You can also reach out to me on Instagram at Killer Instinct Podcast, or you can email us with other case suggestions at killerinstinctpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. Like I said, if you are new here, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on the podcast every Wednesday and every Thursday on YouTube. I will be back next week with a brand new case for you guys. And until then, stay safe. Bye guys. Have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.